have one. There should be probably one in the rack in front of you in terms of the chair in front of you or behind you. And this will help you look at the main passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6. Uh, we'll be looking at a variety of other passages in your outline this morning as we think about walking your talk. And the children will be going to children's church this time, and, and God will be speaking to them as well. Uh, you know, it was, it was interesting as I was up in the uh, men's conference and in, in those kind of settings, in some ways, I'm in a different role. Rather than being up front here speaking to you or to people, or, and sometimes people might thinking at people, I, I am in your position having people speak into my life. And I was thinking just before I got up here is for many of us, the whole idea of, of people telling us things or giving us advice or trying to make some corrections in how we're living or not living, it, it's not always the most... Um, pleasant experience or you'd rather be on the other side of it where you're giving the input rather than receiving the input and and that can be important things like the spiritual arena which we focus on on a sunday and and living our lives in a way that um, either draw us to him or to draw us into a deeper relationship with him but it it could be in any part of life it could be if you're in the kitchen and someone comes in and say is is that really how you're going to make that cake or pie you should be doing it this way or if you're on the golf course and and uh, you're hitting some shots and people say well you know what you really ought to do is take this grip or bring the club back a certain way and when they tell you it through for 18 holes after a while you get tired of hearing advice and as we think about that uh, much of what the bible has for us is, is telling us god's will in very specific ways as far as how he wants us to live and so God is in the position of being the speaker in our lives, giving us the input as far as you know, what life should be all about and how to live it in such a way that, that shows you know him and you honor him. But as we've been going through this series in the book of Ephesians, we mentioned a couple weeks ago that as you take this book, which is six chapters long, and if you divide six chapters in half, that means there are three chapters and then another three chapters, is that in the first three chapters of this book, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, doesn't give any advice. He doesn't tell anybody to do anything. And that's often a pattern of his. And that whole focus is he wants you to understand what God has done before you even think about what you ought to do. And that's the uniqueness of Christianity. It's not what we do, it's what God has done. And the great truth for us who are Christ followers, and if you're not, I'm glad you're here, and I trust that you might be considering this this, uh, opportunity to know God in a personal way. It's all about Him. It's not about us. And when we enter into a relationship with Him, God just changes everything. And often we forget that. We get tied to our past, and really the Bible tells us all things have passed away, and God's made everything new. You are a new person on the inside. And Ephesians probably says it more clearly than any other singular book in the Old Testament or New Testament. And we've talked about that. God says that you are blessed. You are blessed so much. He said, I've given you every blessing. And you're standing before Christ. He said, you've been redeemed, which means you are free. You, are, you have been set free. And I, I look at you Speaking from God's perspective, I, I look at you and I call you a, a saint, which means you're, you're holy, you're set apart, you're completely different than you used to be. And throughout the chapters 1 and chapters 2 and chapter 3, he, he's hammering us with that. I want you to understand you have a new identity because you are a new person. 
And it's all about what God has done. And not only what he's done, but he promises to do if we depend upon him. But as we go through those first three chapters, there comes that point where it says, now, now that you've heard all about it, now, now I want you to put it into practice. Now I want you to live like I've made you. The Christian life is all about becoming who you are. It's the idea, this is what God has made you. Now, now live like it. It's like the person particularly, and I've, I've coached at the lower levels as, as kids are growing up, and it doesn't take long to, to pick out a, a person on a, on a team, whether it's soccer or baseball or basketball, uh, football, whatever it might be, and you can tell immediately, this, this guy's got talent, or this gal really can move, and, and they're, they're, they're an athlete. And then you watch them play and say, they're wasting all that God has given them just physically to, to be the kind of player they can be. They just need to, to, to have confidence to, to move like they can move, to, to play like they can play. Well, if that's true in the physical arena, it's also true in the mental arena. I mean, many of you are teachers and have been in that position where you know the person is sharp and they're not using what they've got up here. And it could be intellectually, it could be musically, whatever it might be. People have talent and they don't use it. Now, that happens on the natural level, and God gives everyone the natural talents. But when we come to know Christ, he changes everything spiritually on the inside. But then there comes that point where, where Paul turns that page, flips that coin, and says, okay, now I want you to, to walk your talk. I, I, you say you're a follower of Christ. You say you believe all these things. You say you know these things because I've said them over and over and over again. Now I want you to, to live like it's true in your life because it is true if you really know the living Christ. And so this morning we began that journey where, where Paul gets very specific in really every arena of life. We're going to be looking at this. God, God wants us to live a life of worship. He wants to live a, a life where we honor him or give glory to him wherever we are. You know, where, where, where we live, where we, where we play, where we work. Or to put it in the kind of the, the mantra of Ephesians, I, I want you to live it at church. Because that's where, that's where it begins with God's people. This is, should be a refueling station when we're together whether it's on a sunday or in a life group or when we meet throughout the week we get refueled to be the people god has made us to be it's not a place to come and criticize each other or look at everybody's uh things they're struggling with and say i want to be refueled spiritually so i can live that out in the rest of my life and so we need to light need to live a life that honors god at church and that's where he begins with in ephesians chapter four but then he goes on, I, I, you need to understand, you, you need to live it out at home. That, that arena where now you've, you've been refueled at church and you ought to put that into practice. Now, now do it at home where you, where you really have to be who you really are. Because you can't put up the facade and people can see right through that. And then he goes on and says, then you need to live it out at work. And if you're a student, you need to live it out at school. Because again, that, people see you because they see you every day. Or just about every day. But again, as he begins that, he starts with an emphasis in terms of, I want you to understand it comes from within. It's not just going through some external motions where people look on the outside or, or maybe someone impressed. But it, it needs to come from within and then it will spill out. 
And so that with an introduction, let's look at the first verse, and, and we'll see how far we get this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, because he, he begins with that kind of challenge. He says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now, that's spiritual language to say just some very simple things about how he begins to urge them to be who they are in Christ. See, I'm, I'm pleading with you, and I want you to know that I'm a, a prisoner. Now, we've already talked about, we know where Paul is writing this letter. He is in prison at what? At Rome. But that's not what he says. I, I, he says, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of God. And I'm a volunteer prisoner of God. He is the one that I'm, I'm now allowing my life to be dictated by, governed by, led by, because I, I don't want to live my life. I want to live his life. I've exchanged my life for his life. And he says, this is what I am beseeching you in the New King James language or in other translations. I'm begging you now. I'm, I'm getting on my knees and just pleading with you with all that I am now to take what you know about yourself in Christ and to live like it. Now, he uses this phrase and he does this in so many different ways in other places in his writings. He says, this is what it's going to be. It's going to be walking a certain way. Now, in the New Testament walking does not mean, you know, what kind of pattern of of uh, footwear you're using and what kind of gait you have as you make one step in front of the other or backward steps. This, this is your way of life. So I, I want your way of life to be able to be described by any honest observer that it's a life worthy of your calling. Now you're thinking, what do you mean? I haven't been called to do anything. When we come into relationship with Christ, it's Christ calling us into that relationship. And in that relationship, it's not just simply to know him and have a ticket to heaven. It's a calling to, to live the life that he has made us to live. In other places, Paul says it's a heavenly calling. It's a holy calling. It's for every follower of Jesus. But just for a second, this isn't even in your notes. He said it should be a calling worthy. It should be a walk worthy of that calling. The, the word worthy is an interesting word. It, it really means to, to be lived in balance. It's, it's like the scales. And the reason I entitled the message, Walk in Your Talk, if you, if you know Jesus Christ in a personal way, the Bible will describe you in a variety of ways, to be a child of God or a children of the light or all those kind of things, uh, um, a, a person who is saved. It also says that you're a Christian. And the last part of that, that word, Christ, I-A-N, in, it means that you now belong to the party of Christ. So you, you now identify with him. And so you've, you've got a, a name tag on. It says Christian. You, you are part of that party. Not a political party, but that spiritual party. And, and you need to adopt the, the passions and the pattern by the one who leads that party, which is Christ. And he said, in living in balance with that or worthy means that what you say evens up with how you live. And when we walk an unworthy walk, it means that some of the things we say about being a Christian and what a Christian ought to be is, is up here. But there's so little data on this side that demonstrates that we are living how we are talking. And so he says, what I want you to do is I want you to balance it out 
with what you say and what you do are evenly um, put on the two scales of your life. So we, we have a high column because that's, that's a high challenge, isn't it? That, that when people see us, they say, well, that's, that's kind of how Jesus would respond in that situation. And that's, that's what Christ talked about on the Sermon on the Mount or whatever it might be. He wants us to live out what he's made us to be, and, and it should be a worthy, worthy walk. But then, then he begins to, to really say, okay, now, what, is that, what will that look like, and what will that require of you in terms of what's on the inside if you're walking like Jesus? Well, let's look at verse 2. I therefore, the prison of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And he says, with all lowliness. And so if we were just to make some plain observations of, of the text this morning, we would say, if we're walking a, a walk worthy of being called a Christian, then we will walk a walk of lowliness. Now, the more common word that is used in some translations and in our own language would be a walk of humility. A walk of humility. Now, what's interesting about this is that before the Greek New Testament was written uh, in the... Uh, in the record that we have, is the word for lowliness or, or humility was not a word that was in the Greek language. In both the Greek and the Roman cultures, they didn't have a, a word for this. In fact, later on when the Christians began using it, whenever they would use it for the first hundred years, that word got coined, they would always use it in a negative context because they didn't think it was, it was good for a person to be lowly. You, you, you shouldn't be lowly. You ought, you ought to be aggressive. You ought to be assertive. You ought to be confident. You ought to, you ought to just be a, uh, a person who just makes things happen. And, and, and they thought a person being humble, uh, something wrong with that, that you, you look at yourself in a lowly manner. But what, what they didn't understand is that th- this is really at the heart of a relationship with God and, and really what, what God has made because what we do when we become a Christ follower, we're saying right up front that I'm a person that needs to depend and rely on someone else other than just myself. See, if, you are, if you're filled with pride, if I'm filled with pride, at that moment, I think I, I've got my act together, <laughs> that I'm I, sometimes in a comparative game, I'm better than the person around me or the people around me, and I, I've, I've, got it, I've got my life in a, in a way in which I've got it under control. That I can live it with my own resources. But that's, that's totally opposite to the mess of the gospel, isn't it? That I don't, I don't know where all of us came in terms of that journey coming to Christ. But at, at a point, if we really have a relationship with him, it, it's saying, man, I, I desperately need that which I don't have. I, I, I don't have a relationship with God. And I've got to humble myself before him. Admit, admit that I'm a sinner, that I'm far from him. And he needs to rescue me out of the life I'm now living. But there's the other side that sometimes when people look at the idea of humility or lowliness, they they look at as you know I'm, I'm you know I'm I'm a worm you know I'm I don't have anything to offer you know everybody else you know God gave a lot of gifts and abilities and I'm I'm a nothing. Again, that's totally opposite of the first three chapters of Ephesians. We we've got everything going for us, so it it's not thinking. Um, uh, that w- there's something wrong with us. 
But what it's saying is I, I, am, I am seeing myself realistically and, and I need to depend and rely totally on Jesus in my life. Now, interesting, there's another number of examples of people in, in the New Testament and the Old Testament that demonstrate a, a humble spirit. And it, it's particularly one in the New Testament I want to share is one that's a great example of what it means in terms of balance of living a, a humble life. When Jesus here, he said there was one person that was greater than anybody who had ever lived before then. Anybody know who that was? It was John the Baptist. He said he's the greatest that had ever come at that point. And then you look at John the Baptist. Who was John the Baptist? John the Baptist had really one role when he came here, and that was prepare the way for Jesus. And when Jesus came on the scene in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, right before he was um, to be baptized, John was talking about this one who was to come. He said, when this one who comes, I'm not even worthy to unleash the, that which keeps his sandals on his feet. He, he is so much more than me. And, and humility in the Christian life is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking so much of Jesus. And on a practical level, in John 3, verse 30, it says uh, of John, he said, He must increase, but I must decrease you know it's interesting as, as a as a pastor and as as uh you know we get all the stuff now with the internet we get tons of stuff on the internet we get tons of stuff in our mailbox about uh, leading the church about uh being um uh, you know a, a pastor of the church and, and, and let me just tell you i i have a passion as a as a pastor of the church to be the best pastor i can be and I, and I say this honestly, you deserve a much better pastor than you got, all right? And so I am, I am just looking at ways, how can, how can I just be more effective? How can I, I do what God has called me to do in this role of, of leadership in a church and, and, and giving direction to church and trying to, to work with people as we, as we try to do what God wants us to do? And what comes across my desk is all kinds of conferences, all kinds of books to read. Some will say, well, you know, come to this conference, you'll be able to be a better preacher. And if you come to this conference, you'll be a better administrator. If you come to this conference, you'll learn how to program the mission of the church. Come to this, uh, and you'll just be a better overall leader. And all those goods, and I've gone just about every one of them, all right, and read just about every book that's been out there. But you know one conference I've never even been invited to? Okay. Be a better pastor by learning how to be more humble. And yet, this was the first on the list for the high calling, the worthy calling he wants us to live. And if that's, if that's true for, for all of us, it's true for me as well, isn't it? That, you know, I need to sharpen any skills or gifts that God has given me, but it begins with saying, I need to depend more on God. And so the pursuit of, of holiness by way of humility is what, what begins that, that walk where we reflect who Jesus is. And, and as I was trying to put some handles on that for, um, you know, for my life, it's interesting, and, and I think it's Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Paul, Paul uh, says of the church, and he, he's about to list out actually their gifts, the, the abilities that God's going to give the, the family of God at, at the church in Rome. He said, as you begin to consider that, I want you to understand that you should not think more highly of yourself than you ought. Now, the context is kind of an interesting one because, you know, he's going to use the gifts, and it's quite possible they, 
they were going to say, well, I deserve this gift and I deserve that gift. And they began to think highly based by measuring the, the quality or level of gifts. And so there's a place where we can be proud by, by thinking lofty thoughts of ourselves in comparison to others. And we do that in all kinds of ways. And I think, let me just throw this out for free. You know, the, the opposite of humility is what? Pride. And sometimes we use words that sometimes we kind of shudder. Should I use that word as a Christian? You ever, ever thought that? Come on now. You've never thought there's certain words you shouldn't use? Particularly the four-letter ones. Okay, yeah, there, aren't there certain words you, you went, ah, I don't know, that, that's probably not a word I'd use. <laughs> but, you know, there's other words, too. Five-letter word, you know. You ever want to, should I ever use the word, I'm proud? You ever, ever wonder, is that a word? Because you know, even if we haven't looked at Ephesians 4 too recently, you know, I don't, Christians probably shouldn't be proud. Are you guys with me? So, should I start all over again? Okay, so... You know, you think, how should I be proud? And, you know, you, know, you see, some, sometimes you'll, see, you'll get behind a, a car and say, I'm proud, of my, uh, I'm proud my kid uh, just got in the gate program, that kind of thing. And my, my, I'm proud my kid got in all-stars for softball. And, and then you have someone, I'm proud my kid can beat up your kid. You know, that kind of, you've seen those. <laughs> Is, you know, the use of the word pride, you can, you can celebrate. I mean, sometimes we use the word pride or I'm proud of or celebrating someone else's achievement. I don't think that's necessarily wrong. But, but. Pride is really at the root of all sin. It was the root of the very first sin. And, you know, the middle letter for pride is what? I, you know, it's, the, the reason we have a problem is because we have an eye problem. Uh, and, and, and so how, how, do we, how, do we, how do we change from that? How do we understand, okay, I want to be humble. How does that happen? And let me understand, all these characteristics that we're probably not going to get to this morning uh, are a fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of God working within us. It's not the fruit of our own efforts. Uh, but again, we still want to have some kind of, what, is that, what should that look like? Uh, well, I, initially, I would put it this way. If we want to pursue humility, then it does get to the point where we think about Jesus first. And then practically after we think Jesus first, then it's others second. And then it's yourself, third. That's what joy is all about. But let me give you a, another handle as I've been wrestling. Okay, how, how can I become um, what God wants me to be and has made me to be? And I, I guess when, when I fall into what I would call prideful behavior or prideful thoughts, it, it's, it's normally not because I'm thinking, too highly of myself. And, and I think sometimes even when we think too less of ourselves, that's kind of a prideful situation too because we want people to feel bad about, oh, oh I'm so sorry that you feel that way. Have you ever had that happen? I'm thinking they're just looking for attention. I know that's kind of harsh. But anyway, you know, some, you know, sometimes that can be that way. You know, some people who come across so humble, it's like, get over it. Just move on. But we're going to get talking about kinder and gentler later. But... but you know, either way, you can mess up in terms of humility. But here where I think the key is, it's, it's not thinking too high yourself or too low yourself. It's simply just not thinking about yourself. Or somebody put it this way. It's not thinking um, less of yourself. It's simply thinking less about yourself. When I feel much of my day just kind of evaluating me or evaluating how other people are looking at me or evaluating what's going to happen next to me and I wonder how my wife's going to treat me, how my kids treat me or the people. You know, whatever. It's, all, it's all about who? It's all about me. 
And that's what he said. It's, it's not about you. It's really about Jesus living his life in and through you. And just thinking about him and then thinking about others. And, and he'll, he'll cover your need. And so Paul, as, as he begins, and he just pleads with them, I want you to understand that, that the heart of the gospel is that he must increase and we must decrease. In relational conflicts, whether it be in a husband-wife relationship or whether it be uh, just uh, friends or relationships at work, it, it is rarely, it's, ne- my, it's never been a situation where, where someone was too humble or, or they weren't that preoccupied with what was happening in, to them and more concerned about what was happening to the other person. The problem is they were thinking more about themselves than anything else. So, so, so we think about this walking the worthy walk, which is walking a, a life in balance between the message of Jesus and the life of Jesus and us living up to that. It's, it's not an easy step, but it's a step. First of all, we just have to be overwhelmingly buying into and then recognize that he, he, he through his spirit, will live that out through us. But we've got to want it. And Paul says, in light of all, all that God has done for you, I spent three chapters. I didn't say one thing for you to do. Now, now buy in. Live out your calling with all lowliness or humility. The next characteristic, he says, and gentleness. Uh, over the last number of years, someone asked me kind of an embarrassing question because uh, I've been saying, you know, I'm trying to be kinder and gentler. And they said, well, how long have you been working on that? <laughs> and I, you know, I, I didn't know how to answer that. Uh, but I guess using that phrase, I, I said, well, I, I think maybe three years. And, uh, and they said, it hasn't worked for you yet, has it? Right. You know, uh, I knew how to take that. But anyway, is, is uh, again, as, as we think about the heart of the gospel, this is, this is not living conformed to the world. This is radically different. Now, in some of your translations, it will say after lowliness or humility. Uh, it won't use the word gentleness. If you have, I think the old, the old King James will say meekness. You ever heard that, that phrase before? And it's really the same Greek word. It's just translated different in our English Bibles. And, you know, meekness it just doesn't, doesn't sound like a quality we want. You know, it's kind of... It rhymes with weakness. It's kind of the person who kind of cowers and you know in relationships with people and and you know it's just kind of always the person's always taking a step back and they they kind of give that idea that they they're a doormat and they they want people to know how painful it is to be a doormat but they're going to remain a door. That's not this word here. Being being and let me say humility and gentleness and we're going to see all the other. It can work with every personality. You know, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, this is, this is not talking about how you present yourself or how you just naturally flow in terms of how you live life. It's, 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 the, it's this characteristic, these characteristics um, taking off all the hard edges and then getting to the core of who you are. Uh, you know, gentleness, the word actually means power under control. And it's interesting, sometimes... Uh, you'll have, uh, in your own life, you'll have people describe you a certain way, and then sometimes you might even uh, uh, like what they say, and some people, you might not like how they describe you. 
But it's interesting sometimes when you hear people describe themselves. Interesting, Jesus took this particular term and said, I am meek or gentle and lowly of heart. And so if Jesus is gentle, if Jesus is meek, then if I want to be like Jesus, then I need to find out what that means and how that would would look like in my life. Interesting, if you've been reading our personal time with God, we've, we've gone through a couple, a couple books. Now we're in our third book. We've gone through Genesis. We've gone through Matthew. We're going through Exodus. And then we'll go to a New Testament book coming up. And we've been studying the life of Moses as we've been reading through the first part of, of uh, the book of Exodus. And it says in Numbers chapter 12, 3, that, that um, Moses was the most humble. Uh, actually, it's the word gentle, or really, you could describe better translate he was the meekest man at that time say moses was meek he, you know i we know that you know when you encounter jesus at the fire i mean God, jesus probably in the, in the in the burning bush that he wasn't sure that he could do everything god was calling him to do and god says just like us hey i want you to simply be what i've made you to be i will empower you i'll be with you and he sent him out but as you look both at moses and jesus it, it wasn't like they they never had any strong emotions that had to confront people i mean jesus and here's a here's a this a label too being meek is not a statement that you never get angry or passionate about something but you get angry or passionate about the right thing when when jesus uh, took all the money changers out of the temple i mean that was meekness in operation too Uh, but it was being angry about the right thing when moses was so patient with the the people he was leading, but there were times when he would he would scream at them for being um, falling back into their old patterns of life. So so meekness is or and gentleness is is power under control. I was just looking back before the service. I've uh, been talking with Jack and Donna. Uh, Jack uh, uh, used to, I think he had four or five lives. He has a story for everything. But but w- one of the things he he used to to work with horses and and you've you've broken quite a few horses, haven't you? Well, now I, I'm not. I'm not. In fact, I know nothing about breaking horses other than what I've read or heard stories about. But when you break a horse, you, you're trying to you're trying to break their will, but not their spirit. You, you don't want to break a horse so much that now they have no life in them. You, you want that horse to perform and to run faster than it's ever run, uh, and and do things it couldn't do by itself. Uh, but you have to control its will. Where when you're on the top of that horse, that that you're the alpha person there, all right? That you're going to give direction. And see, that's what it means to be gentle, is that you have strength and you have power, but it's under control. And it's the control of God. But again, as we think about what, what, what will that look like if we're living a gentle life? What, what will that demonstrate in, in, in terms of, of terms of action? It, the word is interesting in that the idea here is that when you're meek or, or when you're gentle, that that you will you will say the right things in the right way. That when you're in situations, what what you do helps and doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean you don't have a sense of humor. It doesn't mean you don't kind of uh, say, you know, things that, that, you know, 
uh, surprise people. But, but when, you, when you say things, it, it, it helps and it doesn't hurt. In your life groups this week, I'm going to have you turn to a passage in, in Proverbs, Proverbs 15.1, where it says, a, a soft answer turns away what? Wrath. When you're in situations where people are yelling, they're screaming, they're out of control, I mean, do you, do you put gas on that fire? If you do, then you're not, you're not manifesting being gentle. And when you can make a matter worse rather than better, and, and you have the power to do it, yeah, there, there have been many situations where uh, I'm in situations and uh, being in a person who is in a verbal vocation, and, and I have a tendency to run at the mouth in a lot of different situations, and, and I, I like to read people, I like to find out you know, how they tick and what ticks them off, I like to find at what point they, where they, they get irritated really easily, and and then if I see inconsistencies, and I'm kind of giving my own game plan here. Inconsistencies, you know, I'll, I'll kind of dive into that. And, and, and a, lot of, a lot of the times I'm hoping to do just for fun. And just, but, but there are times, you know, in the situation I know, you know, Mike, you, you better not say that. Yeah, but it'd be so funny. But no, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you better not say that. Or, or, or maybe if I need to say it, you know, there's a way where I could say it where I, I, I know I'm, I'm really hurting the person. But if I could say it, maybe, maybe it's when I say it. You know, I get the person, you know, privately and talk to them about it rather than when everyone else is listening. Or, or when you know, all you have to do is just put a little bit of a spin on it. It becomes much more cutting. Than, you know, when we have something wrong physically with us, they have to do surgery, don't they? And you want a surgeon that's skillful. Now, they, they can cut you up, and, and you can all, almost hardly even see the scar because they've done it so skillfully. Then other people I've seen, you know, and I wonder, was that a butcher or was that a, a physician? And that can be true in relationships, can't it? And, and it's interesting about Jesus. I mean, Jesus, I mean, he could lay out the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he called them all kinds of uh, five-letter words, not four-letter words, but I mean, he called them all kinds of things that were cutting to the heart, and it was, an, it was, it was he, he said in no uncertain terms. And that needed to be said. And he still was gentle because it was the right thing to say at the right time. But Jesus was also the person that those who were filled with so much shame about their sin, and we should all feel shame about our sin when we come to know Jesus, is that when they, when they would see Jesus, they could run to him because they knew he would be gentle with them. He wouldn't be condemning. He, he, would, he would offer them what only God could offer them, forgiveness, that would, that would change their identity forever, that they would no longer be identified with that sin, but they'd be identified with Christ. They would not be looked at as unholy in God's eyes, but as holy. He was the one where the children would come to him. And, and interesting enough, probably the reason the, the, the disciples at that moment said, why don't you get these children out of there? Is maybe at that point in their life, they weren't that good with children. And they looked at Jesus and they said, well, why are they coming to him, them and they kind of leave us out here? It's because there was something about them at, maybe at that moment where they didn't have that gentle spirit where um, anyone could come, whether they were young or whether they had been involved in all kinds of things that other people condemned them for, but Jesus offered hope. 
See, the gospel ought to change everything about it. In fact, it does. And it's a progressive thing in terms of us living it out because we, we rely upon how we've always lived in the past. But see, the great thing is that God has changed us on the inside. And then he's working on changing us on the outside as we learn to depend upon him and submit to him. But it, but it means that we, we want this. We want to go to the conference. Teach me how to be more humble or gentle. But that's radically different than what we are told to be and told to do. I, I had fully intended to get through all these points. I really had. But I, I think we're going to stop here. Because uh, there's enough for us to look back uh, at our lives this week. And see, God, where, uh, where I'm, am I not demonstrating a lowly, humble heart? And it manifests itself in so many different ways. We might not use the proud language, I'm proud of this, or I'm better than this, or whatever it might be, but maybe it manifests itself in that we have too much of a critical spirit. When we, when we criticize, and there's a place for criticism, but we know when we're, we're trying to help people with being, giving constructive criticism, and when we're just blasting people, or blasting how things are done. And we're sitting on the sideline. Why, why, are they, why are they doing it that way? Why don't they get that changed? And, and a critical spirit is a sense of pride. Because saying, well, man, if I was in charge, that wouldn't happen. Uh, it, it, pride or the lack of humility can show itself in so many different ways. Just a preoccupation with self. Okay, so where are some... some places where that touches down your life gentleness again it works with every personality you can be you can be loud and crazy or you can be kind of a uh, a, a more uh, introvertish person which uh, it probably is a deep thinker where and has all kinds of great things to say but you're, you don't feel like you have to say them all the time like some people do that i know <clears throat> uh, but it, but there's a place where you know that you need to just be committed to being a help in a situation and not hurting. And be that, uh, that, that, that lion that's been tamed, that colt that's been put under the, the authority of the, of the one who's broken, not the will, but not the spirit, but the will. So let's, uh, this week, let's look more like Jesus by being humble and gentle of heart. Let's pray together. Father, I know uh, this has been enough for me to chew on this morning. Uh, there's so much in your word that we could uh, go at any rate of speed in terms of going through the text that would be challenging. And, and yet, Father, I know today that uh, each of us, if we're open to your spirit, uh, can see Jesus speaking in our lives and maybe some of those as we looked at last week, some of those rooms that need to be cleaned up in our heart uh, to more faithfully follow you. And maybe some this morning have come and they, and they really don't, they don't really know whether they want to take this step of following Jesus fully because they've, they've seen Christians uh, talk the talk but not walk the talk. And, and we'll never walk it perfectly. But Father, this is the life 
only worth living, knowing Jesus, believing in him and his work on the cross for us. As we give and as we continue to worship, might you just touch our lives in ways that are meaningful for your sake and your glory. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.